Hey everybody, I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is the How Do You Figure podcast. Justin, who is our guest today? Our guest today is Bill Makia from Mattel. He is the lead designer of the WWE Elite line. And today, he's here to talk about WWF Hasbro. Great. But first, Blake, did you buy any toys this week? I did. And it was the perfect timing because it also had a... I getting rid of toys as well as a buying of them. I got the uh, something I had my eye on for a while. It was the six inch Grand Moff Tarkin Black Series figure from okay. the Solo line. I oh, love, from Solo. Well, it's from the Solo line of. Was the he? Figures. I didn't see Solo. Was he in Solo? No, no, no. They only CGI'd him into Rogue One, which okay. was terrifying to watch. Because now that they have him, they can put him in anything. Oh yeah, no, you never know when he's going to show up now. But no, he his original trilogy figure was just in the line along gotcha. with Solo and and Young Lando. And I love it because one, it's Grand Moff Tarkin, easily one of the best characters in A New Hope, if not the entire Star Wars saga. And he comes with the interrogation droid that he uses to terrorize Leia. Oh, nice. Which I love a good accessory, and what a perfect one to have, because it's almost another figure in and of itself. Yeah, and knowing Hasbro, I'm surprised they didn't, like, up that to, like, $30 or make Tarkin, like, a Comic-Con exclusive with that. Right, and I, I thought the same thing. It's, like, big, it's bulky, it's awesome. I have it in a weird pose where it looks like it's looking up at him all sad, and he's looking very judgmentally at it as he's one to do. But I love that little droid because all it does is it's this giant, scary-looking rock, and then it zooms in on the most normal-looking needle. As I get this figure, like the day I get it, it arrives at Amazon. I'm very excited. My mom texts me. She's back in Illinois. She's cleaning out our basement. And I loved, when I was growing up, my favorite Star Wars things were those big... They were part of Power of the Force. They don't. They make them now, but they're not the same. They're like the three to four foot extendable lightsabers. But they oh, wouldn't yeah. go all the way in, so you'd have that weird like green or red tube at, uh, at the front of the hilt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they're like, awesome. Uh, well, so when they were selling those is when I worked at Toys R Us. I'm not going to say we stole lightsabers because there were two things that myself and the other employees just disregarded as merchandise, even though it had a skew on it. Number one was sodas. And number two were lightsabers. We each probably helped ourselves to at least one, maybe two sodas a day out of the cooler there in the store. And we were always just picking up those lightsabers, ripping them out of the packaging, and beating each other up with them. Yeah, these were my favorite things. So it was um, one of the first prominent toys I remember getting was the Luke Skywalker one. We left after seeing, uh, must have been Return of the Jedi special edition in theaters, it was a big surprise that my dad had, and I was in love with it. My favorite scene of Star Wars when I was a kid was the nod to R2-D2 and the green lightsaber coming out, and he did the flip. Oh, yeah. I was like, that was it. That was it. I was in for the rest of my life I was in. And I got everyone else. Darth Maul, Count Dooku, Anakin, Mace Windu. I had the weird one that was like orange and didn't have a Jedi for it, and there was no real reason for this lightsaber to exist other than money. Isn't the orange one uh, Blue Clones? No, he had a blue one according to the toy. Who had? There was a blue clone looking yeah, it's thing a that had handle, one, right? But it, to the best of my recollection, they were just like, here's a lightsaber. And it was the only one that had like a clear tube. Um, but I had all these in a tub for years. Oh, sure. And like the early ones, you know, I was eight, nine, ten. These were broken. 
I had sw- I would skateboard with them and fight with them. I played with them like a kid should play with a toy. And I see this tub, and my mom's like, hey, I'm asking you before I do this, because I know you love your toys, and I don't want to throw anything away that you would want, but what do you think? And my first instinct was to be like, no. But then I really thought about it. These are scuffed. The Darth Vader one has glue on it from when I broke it. The Luke one barely screws in. The Count Dooku one's busted. The Anakin one's chips painted. The Obi-Wan one, who even knows? I played with them so much. They were such a big part of my real childhood. And I was like, well, you can't display them. I'm not going to play with them anymore. I'm home twice a year. My mom has done so much to make me happy. She bought me all of those to make me happy as a kid. If getting rid of these so she can now have her yoga studio and her jewelry place where she she makes and sells jewelry and teaches yoga, do it. They're gone. That is very adult of you, Blake. You know, where am I going to put them? What a good son. Plus now I have this cool Black Series Vader one behind me that's like glass. (laughs) Blake, could you text your mom and see if I could have them? I will. I will check. You gotta love new WWF figures with real wrestling action. Jake the Snake Roberts versus the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. DiBiase lands a million dollar punch. Match Hulk Hogan against the Macho King, Randy Savage. Oh, yeah, my almost master finish Hogan, guaranteed. Hogan slams him again. Match Andre the Giant against the Ultimate Warrior. Andre will squash the Ultimate Maniac. WWF figures so close to the real thing, it's like being in the ring. Blake... Just so everyone at home knows, this may not be the best episode for you. I have no frame of reference. I feel like this is going to be a fun episode because of that. Oh, no. I'm very excited to explore the appeal of wrestling. This is one area of, I hate saying nerd culture, but of popular nerd culture that I just... It is definitely an area of nerd culture. Don't get. It's it's a very distinct subset. I don't I don't understand it. I've never seen the appeal. My first encounter with wrestling was in Louisville, Kentucky. My uncles and my dad would watch it on TV when we would visit there, and they loved it. And I remember being like three or four and walking past the TV and just going, this is so loud. I don't understand these cutaways or these just men being like, and I'm coming for you, boy. You better know and believe. And I was like, well, this is a very loud man. And then he would just get half naked and fight a dude in a ring and I was like, I don't, I don't get, I don't get it that you just kind of watch these oily men fight and yell and fight and yell in these bright flamboyant colors and everything was like heightened to the nines. And then someone was like, but there's a very serious story here. And I was like, it, to me, when you're a child and you just walk in, you're like, oh, there's just two men fighting. And then tomorrow we're going to watch them fight a- again, I guess. Like, is this a Street Fighter 2 situation where we just pick a city and a state and duke it out and leave and M. Bison comes in at the end and you can't beat him? Blake, 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 Blake. <laughs> um, this really bums me out, man. You couldn't be more wrong about everything that you're saying. I'm sure. <laughs> I feel like uh, you missed a big part of your childhood and adulthood and you're missing out on what may be the greatest form of popular culture storytelling we have in this country and abroad. Interesting. When it's done right. When it's done right. Yeah. It's a performance art. Great. If it helps, I really enjoy the show Glow on Netflix, which is about wrestling. (laughs) 
great show doesn't help. Great. This is very sad, Blake. <laughs> uh, what you're going to learn over the course of this podcast is how much wrestling has bettered the lives of me and our guest, Bill, today. And I think you're going to leave this podcast wishing you were a wrestling fan and realizing that you have missed out on almost 30 years of enjoyment. <laughs> That's a lot. Is there a streaming app that I can catch up on quickly? Should I now decide you to... You cannot catch up quickly, but there are many, many streaming apps. I am subscribed to more streaming wrestling services than I am streaming TV show This alone services. blows my mind, because I... I think the peak wrestling I grew up with was A, like, what is The Rock cooking and do you smell it? WCW versus NWO or WWE versus Inc- Raw is War was the big, that was kind of the things. last. Don't try. Don't try. Great. <laughs> Just throw in the towel now. Great. You don't need, no. Uh, what you don't know is that we are in the midst of a golden age of professional wrestling right now. Fascinating. Thanks not only to WWE, but to the independent organizations out there, to the Japanese organizations, to CMLL and AAA and everything in Mexico, to Lucha Underground. I could go on and on and on. You are looking at me like I'm speaking a different language. I feel like I'm looking at the back of ingredients and trying to understand all the different chemicals that go into peanut butter. And I'm like, there should be two ingredients in peanut butter, peanut bu- peanuts and oil. And there's so many. And I'm like, there should only, there's WWE and NC and NWO. And now you're just listing acronyms to perplex and confound me. <sighs> Blake. I'll tell you part of why I don't like it, Justin. And this is such a, like, as a child, it's not abuse. Here we but go. It's the, Here we go. My uncles loved that, like, the claw. Oh, the move, the claw. Yeah. Like from the crusher. Yep. And as a small child, and I didn't break like 130 pounds until I was about 20. Like I was a small kid. They would just run up to me and do the claw and like grab my whole chest or back and just pin me to the ground wherever I was and just yell the claw. And I remember as much as I loved my uncles hating that. As I think any small person would hate being. Yeah, I could see where that would put someone off wrestling. It's like <laughs> your, your only childhood memory is, you know, you know abuse with a claw. So there you go. I, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it's fine. I uh, promise that neither Bill nor I will give you the claw. I would appreciate that. I don't, I don't that. have the strength to. <laughs> right. I'm a little bit bigger now. It's hard to get a full claw around. I may have given you the claw in my 20s. But uh, that makes sense. That was a time where bullying was okay in schools. WWF Hasbro, the late 80s, early 90s. We're talking Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Ultimate Warrior, classic characters. And that is before we found out Hulk Hogan's a racist, Ultimate Warrior's a homophobe, and when Macho Man was alive. There was nothing that I loved more in 1990 than professional wrestling specifically WWF, but there was a problem. The toys were shit. In the late 80s, the WWF license, and I'll see right off the bat here. There's going to be a lot of swishing between WWE and WWF. It's confusing. They're now, the same thing. Okay, were that was going to be my... I was thing? aware of it. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't wrong, because I remember that switch happening. I yes. remember it being a thing. But so when I we know, say WWF, we say WWE, they're the same thing, different branding, different time It's like period. the USSR and Russia. Uh, similar. <laughs> uh, 
but we won't get into any of that. Just know they're the same thing. Great. So in the late 80s, the WWF license was held by LJN, mm-hmm. and they made action figures for WWF, and calling these things action figures is being polite. Because they were basically giant hunks of plastic, and the only action they were good for was bludgeoning someone to death. Yeah, they, they were, were very weighty. Very, very heavy. I think they were actually made of rubber, and the paint did not stick to them very well. Uh, yeah, I remember these as a kid and being disappointed that these were the uh, the action figures that represented WWF at the time. Because myself, I was, you know, I was a big fan, but like when I looked at it, it's like I was playing with Star Wars figures. G.I. Joe, like really small, posable figures. You can get them into all sorts of cool positions, right. lots of vehicle play. And the uh, WWF figures were giant, heavy hunks of plastic that you could basically just bonk your friend over the head with. You couldn't even get them to do moves because I don't know how the arms were locked in place and you really couldn't uh, get them to do what they're supposed to do except, you know, just put them in a ring and just like, you know... In my, we call it doinky doink play, where we play where it's just you know just a doink doink doink. You just you just, <laughs> just smash bash them together, just bash stuff into each other. And for a lot of kids, that's you know we found that a lot of kids that's how they want to play with action figures. Like all they want to do is just doinky doink play. Like I couldn't, I I hated that. Like those figures bothered me so much. And when you did the doinky doink with them, the paint would come off. Yeah, which was the other like I could see if. You could smash them together and they would still be okay. But those things, as soon as you smash them together, paint from one is rubbing onto the other. The paint's rubbing off the other one. It's funny you say that because I do remember, again, when I was I was in Louisville, Kentucky at the time, and I had this, I think it was from probably Turtles 3, Raphael, because he was in that Shogun Samurai time travel terrible movie costume. And... My uncle had a, one of those old wrestling toys, and I remember making them fight. I must have been two or three or four, and then leaving and being like, There's, why is there all of this human-colored paint on my, my green turtle? Uh, another problem with the LJN figures was that I got into wrestling in the late 80s. I got into it around uh, end of 88, beginning of 89, Mega Powers Explode sort of time period. And by that point, when I went to like KB to look at wrestling figures... There was basically just Jesse the Body Ventura, who hadn't wrestled in like six years at that point, and a couple of other LGN figures left. Like the new LGN figures weren't even hitting the stores. Yeah, I think there's like some black card series LGN that I guess I, I may or may not have ever been released in the U.S. It's well, you to had to buy them uh, from the back of the Apner magazines. Oh, really? Is that the only place they were selling them? Yeah. Yeah, because was... I got I got them as a kid, oh. even though I hated the line. Like <laughs> that last series, the Black Series had some of my favorite wrestlers, like the Big Boss Man, Jake the Snake, Rick yeah. Rude. Uh, so I remember cutting the thing out of the back of the after magazines, and it, the ad for them didn't even show the actual figures. It showed like drawings of the figures, so you didn't even really know what you were getting until they showed up in the mail. You know, they'd have the LJN figures on the old um, the TNT show when the you know Roddy Piper would come out and he'd have his doll and he'd do like some crazy, you know, promo with with that. And I remember them from there. And then watching primetime wrestling one day, I noticed they had a ring set up and they had all these new style figures in there. I'm like, oh, and it immediately caught my attention. It's like, oh, those are different. That's not the usual. I probably didn't appreciate it at the time because at the time I wasn't into wrestling toys at the time. Like I I didn't own a wrestling toy until I was, God, maybe old enough to drink which is really? kind of, yeah it's kind of uh it's kind of ironic considering what i do now that it's like i never touched this as a kid it just huh 
actually, the most ironic, the two toys I never touched as a kid were wrestling and He-Man. And now I'm a WWE designer at Mattel. It's like, I don't know. Well, what were you into at the time? Star Wars was number one. Star Wars was number one by a pretty significant margin. And then G.I. Joe um, was number two. And then I dabbled in stuff like Transformers and Legos. But you were still a wrestling fan. Oh, yeah. I was watching it. Like, I was like... I was late to the party. Like, everyone, one of my classmates was into it, you know, right at WrestleMania 1. And I really didn't get into it until right before WrestleMania 2. But, you know, obviously I've stuck around, you know, watching and following this longer than anyone of my classmates. Like, when it was a fad, I got in on the tail end of the fad. But then when it was no longer a fad, I stayed, you know, involved and connected. And- so I want to talk about this first, the first lineup uh, of Hasbro WWF. You wouldn't see something like this today in a toy line because it had all of the heavy hitters right out front in the first line. Nowadays, they'll release like six waves and put like one or two heavy hitters in a wave. I don't know. I think that might just be because at the time, like the WWE roster at that time was so stacked. I mean, yeah. it had, I mean, consider you had, you know, Hogan, Macho Man, Million Dollar Man, you know, Dusty Rhodes, Andre the Giant. Uh, you know, right there, those are five, you know, like the all-time greats on the roster at the same time. Uh, you know, Brutus Beefcake was a big deal at the time. I uh, love Brutus Beefcake. Yeah, oh, I have a friend who just drank. Brutus Beefcake? Brutus the Barber. Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Beefcake. Fascinating. It, uh, a, yes. How would you describe to Blake Brutus the Barber Beefcake? A very large male stripper uh, with z- uh, fondness for zebra patterns on the tights and a at one point... Uh, a very long and luxurious mullet. Like like the ultimate 80s mullet. He carried around these giant barber shears that were actually like gardening shears. Sure. That were like painted like they were barber shears. How does the guy who brings giant knives not win every round? You can't use them in the match, Blake. Okay. That would be insane. <laughs> what kind of blood sport do you think this is? I'm a very big one because oftentimes the thesis of that entire world is fighting. No, these, these, are, these are just these are decorative shears. Okay. Yes, he of didn't course. Use them. Uh, so yeah, that first line: Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, Andre the Giant, Axe and Smash of Demolition, Ravishing Rick Rude, Macho Man Randy Savage, The Big Boss Man, Ted DiBiase, Dave the Snake Roberts, Bruce the Barber Beefcake. But the one that I remember sticking out to me the most the first time I saw this line. And not just because of how unusual it was that he had a figure, but because I really liked him at the time. Akeem, the African dream. One of the reasons that I was so captivated by Akeem was because he was the one that hadn't been made before. LJN had released all of these other characters uh, except for Akeem. And I loved Akeem. Blake... When we say Akeem the African Dream, what comes to mind? I imagine that he comes out kind of built like a like a bottom shelf Mike Tyson. He either has a very big fro or it's shaved. I haven't decided. His pants are probably, I would assume, a red and green, almost Jamaican color scheme or African color scheme. And I am picturing very big, bright boxing gloves, even though I know it's wrestling and that's wrong. What race would you see? Say, I well, see, I'm of two minds because he's the African dream, so I assume he's African American. I oddly want to say maybe Indian, though. 
Well, you would be very wrong about all of that. <laughs> yeah, you missed almost. You missed the mark completely. Uh, Akeem the African Dream is the Rolls Royce of cultural appropriation. <laughs> uh, he was a big fat white guy. He was like King Hippo in Punch Out. He was like King Hippo if they put like a yellow, a yellow and blue. De- I don't know what it's. I don't want to say the wrong thing. But it's like. <laughs> yeah. So what made was, him the was, African dream? It was. They were. Gosh, I don't know how far down the rabbit hole you go on this one. It was a, uh, an inside joke against one of the wrestlers on their roster, who used to be the main storyteller for the opposition. Okay. Uh, Dusty Rhodes, who in 1990 was on WWE or WWF. I, I don't know what the. Uh, he, um, you know, two years prior, he was the head booker, which is like the head storyteller for yeah. NWA, which was the number two promotion at the time. He left there under, I guess he was fired, ends up in WWF and Vince McMahon kind of, they're now saying it was never meant as a rib or a joke. It, looking back, it's pretty obvious. A lot of stuff was, at least in my mind, is like, yeah, this is. Yeah, that's either a joke or you're just like, we wanted an African character, but we also did not want a black person. Yeah, well, he was like, the American. Choose your poison. He was the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. And then sort of as a goof on the American dream, they took another very large, hefty uh, wrestler who used to wrestle as one man gang. who was like. Legit, like six foot seven, three hundred and forty pounds with a mohawk. He grew out the mohawk, um, and then started dre- wrestling in like this blue outfit. And he came to the robe in like this, like yellow. Um, I want to say dashiki, but I don't even know if that's the right word. So it sounds right. It sounds right. We can edit this. Yeah, we. If, if this is if this is if this is the not the right word, you can like fake it in. But let's just say for the sake of the argument, it's a yellow dashiki and a yellow, like like. Like almost like an Abraham Lincoln style hat, but without the rim, uh, with bands across it, uh, like yellow and green and green and blue bands. And this was supposed to sort of symbolize that he was now an African tribesman. It was, I mean, you can't do this shit today. But and like, his debut was insane. Like he was managed by a guy named Slick, one of my favorite managers, the Doctor of Style Slick. And Slick brought the announcer, Mean Gene Okerlund, to a back alley somewhere to do this African ceremony where all of these African dancers came out and danced around this, like, garbage can. And then fire shot out of it and Akeem appeared. Uh, Now, as a child, I didn't know anything about him being a parody or a joke or anything like that. And also as a child, I was aware that there were white people that were from South Africa. Sure. So I assumed that he was South African and that this was really some, like, real deal thing with his heritage (laughs) and that he was just going back to his South African roots. Sure. Uh, Could not have been further from the truth. (laughs) No, I I actually grew up. I liked it as a child, though. You were like, I will do the mental gymnastics required to keep this away from racism. Like, yeah, I, I always remember hating that Akeem character because I was familiar with the one man gang, you know, from you know other wrestling organizations prior to him coming in. I always thought he looked like a badass. It's like it's a huge dude with a mohawk, and he's you know he's just like three hundred pounds, and he does like the seven forty seven splash. Where he just like jumps and falls on people. And it looks like it would kill you. And it's like this guy, you know, and this is back. You know, I was a little younger. I was a little bit more bought into like the whole 
you know, this is this might or might not be real. Like, how would anyone beat this guy? And then to have him come in and turn into like like a big blue jelly bean in WWF, it's like this is uh man, I don't like this at all. So, but that figure just like jumped off the shelves because you're looking the the yellow was such a vibrant yellow and the blue was such a vibrant blue. Like it was a great looking figure. Yeah. And he was very hard to find. And I have a another sort of a tangent story on on the Akeem figure. Um so about a year after that figure, I had never seen that figure in stores and a year after this came out, I was on a school trip to Florence, Italy, like a school group, and we were passing through this flea market and one of the flea market vendors had the Hasbro figures. And I uh you know, I'm instantly, you know, like my, my, you know, I was like turned away from the group to like look at the figures. Cause it's like this, at this point I was like, I wasn't necessarily a fan of the figures, but I was a fan of WWE and I was just surprised to find WWE figures in Florence of all places. You know, you're looking at like the greatest artwork that's ever been created and I'm focusing in on wrestling figures. So I'm, I'm doing this and then I turn and look back and I realize like my, my school group has, has gone. <laughs> and so it's like, oh shit, I'm in trouble here. Um, so I like I'm just like, gosh, I would have been like maybe seventeen, eighteen years old. I'm just like in a blind panic, like, where am I? Where am I? And then, um, I was like trying to find places that spoke English, and uh, I was like going into bookstores and going like, do you speak English? And they go, oh no, 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 no. And it's um, so yeah, it's just like the I was getting more and more like, oh my god, like I'm gonna be stuck in Florence and I have no idea how to get out of this. And then I remembered. On the way to the hotel, the tour bus passed a a, 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 a concert signed by the Pogues because the Pogues were playing, and oh, man. The, the, it was right next to the hotel. So I found I found a bookstore where the people spoke English, and I said like, and I didn't know the name of the hotel, but I was like, I don't know the name of the hotel, but right next to it is a sign, a big concert sign for the Pogues, and they're like, oh yeah, that's this concert, and they showed me the directions back to the hotel. So it's. I mean, this could have turned out really badly, but because I was, you know, because I noticed the Pogue concert sign next to the hotel on the drive in that morning, uh, I was able to not spend the rest of my life lost in Florence. And this is all because of the fault of Akeem the African. Yeah, because I was in a booth and the first time I saw, I saw most of these figures elsewhere. The first time I saw Akeem was in Florence, Italy on a, on a, like a flea market rack. I'm like, what the hell is, what the hell is this? Why am I seeing this for the first time on a flea market rack in Florence? captivated and then you know 10 minutes later it's like oh i'm in trouble and that's the thing i appreciate it now is like as an action figure akim is a great action figure like i mean that's part of i take that in consideration when i do my job now is like a lot of those characters from back in the day there was just so much more a lot more like just they went like you know they had a guy dressed up like a viking and a guy dressed up with antlers on his head and a guy dressed up like, you know, like a guy that's going to repossess your car with like tire tracks on a coat and little, uh, you know, tires on his shoulder blades, you know, and it's like they don't do any of that stuff now. And that's one of the reasons why I think this was the perfect time for toys for WWE is the designs of the characters at the time and the colors and everything were just perfect for toys. And also if like he looks back like a Russian a of- bad guy in a Rocky knockoff. <laughs> <laughs> and just pulled up photos. Yeah, looking back at the uh, the action figure style at the time, it also like that style was like the prevalent style, like the Ninja Turtle style, where it's like it's like a four inch figure, kind of squat, like you know, fat legs, a, you know, 
the torso is sort of smaller, but the arms and the, the, the legs are really big. You had stuff like that, you know, Toxic Avenger. I think you had like, there was one, I think it was like Barnyard Battlers or something. We where were just like, talking yeah. about those the other day. The, yeah. yeah, those are some of my favorite weird toys. Food Fighters. There's every, you know, other things though. Like, so it's sort of like, it was of that time where having that style of figure and having that style of wrestling programming on WWF, it just, it was like the perfect combination to create that specific toy line. Like, we would never, you know, do that as a main toy line today because you go into the action figure style now and it's all about like how precise, how how close can I get this to looking like the actual person shrunk down to seven inches. And like I didn't care about that as a kid. Like I didn't care if these looked exactly like the people. I liked kind of the funkier designs. Of the Hasbro toys. Well, I think that speaks to the designs we grew up with as a kid, as kids in the worlds that they'd make toys off of. Like Power Rangers, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Simpsons, wrestling. All of these are characters that have distinct ways of showing themselves off that aren't about, like, if you can't recognize their face, you don't know who they are. They're like Pop Funkos, who you pop them out and it's like, that's a white guy in a blue jacket. It could be supernatural, but it could be a background character in Harry Potter. Who knows? But I think that is why, and I could be wrong, you're obviously the, the toy designer, but I think that getting that stylistic precision and really showing off the, to your point, the bright colors, the articulation, the the shapes, the density, the things that made these characters who they were was very valuable to us. There was a tactile part of that. And I think now as the kind of collector hyper-detailed market grows, they want the Luke Skywalker who looks like Luke Skywalker. But nice. I always thought the Hasbro sculpts, like even though they were a little cartoonish and a little uh, stylized, like the likenesses, they always looked like who, were, who they were supposed to. Yeah. And that wasn't always the case with some of the LJNs and even the Jax figures, you know, especially some of the early Jax figures. The sculpting on those was uh, a, a dramatic step backwards in terms of capturing the likenesses. Like I always like would look at, you know, the Hasbro figures. One of the reasons I, I, I'm so fond of them is because they were able to capture the essence of the characters so well with, you know, so little, so to speak. I mean, they, it wasn't looking back compared to what they use now. There's not a lot of deco on them compared to a modern figure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's not a lot of size. There's not a lot of movement because it's not, a you know, a hyper-articulated figure. But it is a outstanding representation of the character from that time period. Yeah, I remember, like, specifically from that first series, like Brutus, the barber beefcakes eyes, like Brutus had these like crazy wild eyes. And they, even though it was a cartoony kind of style on the figure, they captured that really well. And I feel like with everyone, there was some sort of like point of their likeness that they captured real well. Yeah. Um, like their Marty Jannetty figure. Yeah. I always thought like Marty Jannetty is a hard face to, to capture, uh, even I think our Marty Jannetty figure back when we did the Rockers two pack, it's it's good, uh, but I don't know if it's our best, if I'm being honest. And then, but and just sort of there's like a roundness to his face that's hard to get in in uh, an action figure. And like the Hasbro figure, I still of all the companies that have done a Marty Jannetty figure, and I think there's been actually been four of them actually in between like the AWA Remco, mm-hmm. Hasbro, Jax, and now uh, Mattel. I, I still think the uh, the Hasbro, uh, rec, you know, the Hasbro line, Marty Jannetty, is possibly 
my favorite Marty Jannetty figure, which is kind of hard for me to say considering I worked on one. Yeah, that is a really good Marty Jannetty. That and that gets us into uh, the second year of the line, '91, and the tag teams because. Man, I, you know, LGN did tag teams and so did uh, Rimco, but there was just something about the tag team sets from Hasbro that really blew my mind as a kid. I think it was the perfect time to be making tag teams because you had some of these great cartoonish tag teams. The first line of tag team figures were the Bushwhackers, the Rockers, and Demolition but with Crush instead of Axe. Uh, and I just, I, I really liked the look of them on the packaging. Just everything like looked great. It was the perfect, like add on to the line. And it helped those that tag team they sets. came with accessories. Like the demolition had the masks and Bushwhackers had the hats with the little bites out of them. So when you could uh, display it, did the Bushwhackers come? Or was that later? I think you did that. You know what? That might be, we might have to <laughs> rewind that. Yeah, no, I think that was actually, you know what? I think when they did the Bushwhackers as single card, they added hats later. Okay, like on the blue cards. Yeah. Okay, so that might be my memory. Demolition did have the masks. Demolition did have that. the hoods, yeah. And the other thing I remember is they must have ordered, like, they must have shipped in way too many of the Rockers pack because I remember, like, buying that. They shipped that in, like, 91. I remember buying that at a Toys R Us in 96. Wow. And it was just, there was this one section of, like, the remainders, and it just sat there for years and years and years, this one peg of Rockers. And then. I would, you know, this was even like as the other stuff that like, came and went, the rockers just sat there. <laughs> and then eventually when I got around to collecting these things, like six years after they, you know, the line initially started, I'm like, I wonder if, you know, Toys R Us still has those rockers on the pegs. And sure enough, they had three of them left and I bought one of them. Yeah, I remember buying like some of the Hasbro figures at KB pretty late too. Like well, some of them were around. I started collecting these in 96. There was a a sale at KB like three for 12 or three for, it was like an insanely low price and it was the yellow cards and it was a yellow and some other series, which at the time were like really rare. And it's like, they just showed up in KB, like, you know, remainders. I'm like, and I bought the Kamala cause I thought that figure was hilarious. Cause he had like that goofy look on the card and he had that really nice textured skirt on the, you know, so I always I found that figure so fun, and it was like I was just always playing with it, and I'm just like, this is awesome. Once it, you had that one, you were in. Yeah, it's like I mean that's how it happened with me with uh, Marvel Marvel figures. I bought a Shatterstar figure because I thought that was a cool design because in '91 that was a cool design, and you know it's still kind of a cool it's, design. It's, Shatterstar is yeah. fine. Yeah, this is a pro Shatterstar podcast. <laughs> that's what happened with me in your line. Was after the Jacks line, I swore off buying wrestling figures. I had bought so many of those Jax toys, I was done. Oh, I've heard this story from many, many people. <laughs> and then I was at Comic-Con, and I had skipped the first couple of lines of Mattel's WWE line. Uh, I had gone to the panel where you showed the Macho Man video. I was very impressed with everything that you showed. And I think it was either that year or maybe the next year you guys were selling an Undertaker exclusive. Mm-hmm. And... I thought, you know what? This is a gorgeous figure. I'm going to pick up this Undertaker. And bought that Undertaker. And once I had that Undertaker, it was over. That I happened brought to me that with, thing uh, home. And now I own almost every figure the Bills made. <laughs> that's how I got back into, not toy collecting entirely, but when The Force Awakens came out, they did their like black series for that line. 
And I remember being like, I want, I need to buy, like, it's Star Wars is back. I need to buy a Star Wars toy. I haven't bought a Star Wars toy in years. Like, I got to get this cool Kylo Ren six-inch black series. And, of course, the next day it was like, you know who else should be around him? Every character. So moving into 1991 and Series 2, we have another Hulk Hogan, another Ultimate Warrior, Roddy Roddy Piper, Jimmy Snuka, Amacho King, Randy Savage this time, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, another Million Dollar Man, this one in the Green Tux, and, oh, Dusty Rhodes uh, in the Polka Dots, and probably my favorite figure from the old Hasbro WWF line, the Honky Tonk Man. The Honky Tonk Man was an amazing figure. Uh, his jumpsuit had this really great texture to it. You could feel the musical notes. Uh, I just remember it really sticking out to me as a kid. Not only the look of it, but the feel of it. actually just picked up last week, and we talked about it on the podcast, uh, the new Honky Tonk Man that looks just like this one from Hasbro. It doesn't exactly match the Hasbro, but it's it's definitely like that deep, rich blue that when you put them next to each other, they'll both like you know they'll both have like really nice blue jumpsuits. On the basic line, the build a figure Howard Finkel line that just came out of Walmart. Yes, uh, they have a million dollar man that's the same suit as that series two million dollar man and the Rick Rude and the series. yeah actually yeah the Rick Rude was the pants on there because I was trying to find. A, uh, because it's a basic, you don't have the the budget that you do for the elite. So I was trying to find a meaningful Rick Rude deco that was, you know, made sense, you know, from a business standpoint. But it was also sort of true to Rick Rude. I mean, he had very you know ostentatious tights. You got, you ha- you can't do, you can't just put them in like you know red pants and call it a day. You got to do something. But I remembered how those pants looked on the Rick Rude uh, Hasbro figure, and it it never struck me then that like they were anything less than Rick Rude pants. So it's made sense at the time. It's like, well, it worked then. I'm, I don't see why it would work. And if you pose them next to each other, it is kind of a cool little tribute. And also, like, you know, the, the Million Dollar Man in the green suit. Blake, what do you think the Honky Tonk Man is? Oh, man. Well, I was wrong that the African Man was was black, so I assume that the Honky is not white. <laughs> but, um... The Honky Tonk Man. That sounds like he would be some sort of dancer. There would be some sort of dance fighting involved. Some sort of musicality to the performance. I imagine he's very loud and flamboyant and excitable. You're warmer with this one than you were with Akeem. Well, it's a lot easier when it's not appropriation. (laughs) Uh, This is actually appropriation of appropriation. Interesting. Because the Honky Tonk Man is a wrestling Elvis. I'm super into that. <laughs> That's just like picking somebody off Hollywood Boulevard and saying, what if you also fought? <laughs> so you mentioned uh, the Marty Jannetty being better. Any other things that you think Hasbro did better than your line of wrestling figures? Gosh, I hope not. <laughs> I mean, the the part that really that I am kind of jealous of is like, I am jealous of the color schemes that, uh, or the color patterns and just the variety that, was sort of they got to work with back in the day. Like I have designed a lot of figures in black outfits, uh, and it, and you know it matches what's on programming. So it's like it's not it's not like being not true to the brand, but the brand right now is a lot based on black ring gear, and then some sort of designs on top of that. Um, so that that is one part where like 
anytime someone wears what how the Hasbro has sort of influenced me is anytime someone wears a ring gear that's a little bit you know more colorful than a standard, I'll always keep that in mind for the figure and hope that they wear it more than once. Because if you wear that one more than once, it's a one-off. It can be like, well, if I have if I have like certain slots in the year, and ninety-nine times out of a hundred they're wearing black, and then they just wore like silver, and then never wore it again. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to put the figure in silver. But if like let's say like thirty percent of the time they're wearing silver and seventy percent of the time they're wearing black, uh, then I'll choose the silver outfit, just so it's not when you stand them all up. You know, if you do if you buy a figure from someone every year. And you stand them all up. I, I don't want the line just to look like black figure in black figure in black figure in black figure in black. And then if you one of and when you look at the Hasbro's, it's like you never see two figures in a row standing next to each other that are like, you know, the same basic, the same color. It's always is if, that if there is a figure in black. It's like they're followed up with like, or it's figure in black and pink. It like Hitman, the next figure next to him, unless it's a tag team partner, it's not going to share those colors. Is that more though just like the state of wrestling now is less colorful in their costumes and therefore like the toys that you'd have to produce would follow that suit or is there another element to that? I think there's a lot to it. A lot of the costumes back in the day you could get away with like Hacksaw Jim Jim Duggan could get get away with his character just wearing like blue blue boots, blue trunks and carrying a flag to the ring. Whereas now, you know, the way that character would be portrayed would be completely different. And, you know, to a modern wrestling fan. Sure. Interesting. As not knowing anything about it, I don't know how wrestling costumes have evolved, if there's more of a tonality shift that would cause kind of those things as well, or if it is just like things change. <laughs> like, Yeah, it's not as – like they're wrestling in the 80s, especially like the middle 80s, was like these are cartoon characters come to life. Right. And they're just – they're big and they're larger than life. And it's just fun to watch them fight. Whereas I think now there's the emphasis maybe isn't as much on size and appearance as opposed to what they're actually doing in the ring as you watch it. Like main events from the eighties, if you watch them now would get booed out of the building because it's, it's uh it's a slower pace. Uh, it's a lot more methodical. There's not as many sort of cool moves. Mm. And now it's like the stuff that's, you know, people are like, the invent people are inventing new moves at such a pace now. It's like I can't believe like every show I see something I've never seen before. It's like how are they gonna you know where did that come from and then how are they gonna top that and then the show after that they do it's like so it's not as much the emphasis maybe isn't as much on the uh, the in ring gear as opposed to what you're actually doing. Okay, interesting. I always think it's interesting when colors leave any medium. There was a weird time. I think the most recent thing would probably really be like Zack Snyder's Justice League and Superman is like, what if we diluted these bright, fun colors? Uh, But it reminds me of in video games when the Xbox 360 came out, there was just a time where it was every game was brown and gray. And it was because there was this like era of Fallout 3, Fallout New Vegas, Gears of War, Metal Gear Solid 4, and everything was this post-apocalyptic story. And I remember it almost becoming frustrating as a gamer to really be like, we have better technology now than we did on the Super Nintendo, so why is Yoshi's Island still a prettier game than what you're doing now because you've just chosen one 
thing to blanket over this entire thing. I think it's a secular thing, and it comes and goes. And like, there's some like more colorful, colorful outfits coming back into WWE yeah. now, especially like in the women's division. Um, but yeah, there were just years where it was just like dudes in black tights. That's fascinating, as like because only seeing it through that small window I did in the '90s, the colors and the vibrancy and the characters was so integral to it. And it makes sense that there would be an era of it that is more, I don't want to say UFC-esque, but more about like the physical fighting and move sets and what these characters are doing and what you're watching than the characters that they're playing. But it's interesting to hear that like the era that I saw outside of a window as I flew by on a countryside at some point almost fell to the same trends that everything else did. Oh, like the, the, Even in movies, it was The Matrix came out and then everyone was like, Every character should have sunglasses and trench coats and be in black. In 2000, there was a Matrix-esque version of The Undertaker. Well, of course there was. I mean... Don't get me wrong. I love The Matrix, The Undertaker. Love it. Uh, I want specifically... Bill, I want specifically a figure from the night he returned. His first appearance in his human form... I believe it was Judgment Day 2000. So you want that one instead of like the one with like the long snakeskin pants? Yeah. In the Mattel Elite and Basic lines, you guys have made most of the characters from the Hasbro line. Is there a character from the Hasbro line that you haven't made that you'd like to make? Well, there's two, but I know for sure I'm never going to make any of them. One is Nails, just because... It's a right, but yes. yeah, there will never be a Mattel nails. Don't ask. And I assume other, that nails is not just the bottom shelf cereal version of Shredder with nails instead of big blades everywhere. No, nails is a escaped convict who was one of the arch enemies of the big boss man. Of course, and he did not <laughs> leave the company on very good terms. And uh, let's just leave it at that. Got it. And the other is Ludwig Borga. I know a lot of people criticize. I was a Friggin' Ludwig Borga, Mark, for like the three months he was there, and I was so happy he got. I think that might actually be the second figure I bought looking back because I might have found a green card on clearance Ludwig Borga at that KB sale. And I thought, from a visual standpoint, I thought he looked so freaking cool. And I know, like, now he's kind of a joke, but I thought, like, like his whole look was cool. His outfit was cool. You know, he that movie, like, threw people up in the air and then, you know, punched him i thought that looked cool i was wondering how he did that without actually taking someone's head off yeah i really liked him like i remember he was poised to be like a big deal and then just disappeared yeah. but he got a figure he was like meantime. he was on the roster for four months or something and then was like gone and never heard from again and then like some of the stuff comes out and it's like oof you know they dodged a bullet with that oh so that's why there's not going to be a well i without you can feel that there's a reason he wore very tall boots uh-oh <laughs> interesting <laughs> oh no all right yeah we don't need a little bit for your figure um personally the one that i know you guys can't make that is very frustrating for me uh probably in my top five of hasbro figures and one of my favorite wrestlers the mountie is that just a canada man it is a mountie a canadian Great. mountie 
another arch rival of the big boss man because they fight crime differently. This is the Canada. second episode now where you've mentioned wanting a Canadian figure from one of these lines. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Mountie Moose from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Do you have a Canada fascination? I do have a Canada fascination. Do you like Alpha Flights and the Canadians Wolverine? are very protective of the Mountie uniform? Like, don't like it being used. Uh, you know, on consumer products for kids, it's just they, they'll never approve it, which is kind of a, a shame because it is such a distinct uniform. Yet Dudley Doolittle was it? That wasn't the Canadian man. Dudley Do Do Right. There we go. That was yeah. the man. The Mountie. The, actually, man. the one that I'm looking back now also, uh, Giant Gonzalez. Blake, who do you think the Giant Gonzalez is? There's probably more appropriation. I assume Gonzalez would make him of Hispanic descent, but I'm going to assume now that he's white. <laughs> No, he was, he was an Argentinian. He was an Argentinian basketball player that I think was signed to the Atlanta Hawks, and then he blew out his knee. Oh, now I know exactly who you're talking about. But does that help you figure out the character any better? Not what he would be portraying there, but I'm going to assume that he is, is a tall man. I'm going to assume that he is just a... A large Argentinian, but that's the character, right? No, wrong. Damn it! He was a Sasquatch, a f- with furry underwear. Of course, he was. Are any of these in a wheelhouse where you're like, he could probably figure this out without a frame of reference? Because if we sat down with somebody who doesn't know comic books and we were like, "Who is Spider-Man?" They'd be like, "That's a dude who has spider stuff going on," but that correlation does not seem to exist here. That's one of the fun things about wrestling. It is. No, I'm enjoying this let's pull names out of a bag and see where we land approach to me guessing. I was live at the 1993 Royal Rumble when the Giant Gonzalez debuted. And I was up at the very top of the arena, uh, like two or three rows to the back. And there were no like giant screens or anything. So the only thing you could see was your view from the top of the arena. So when he came out for the first time, I couldn't see from the top of the arena that he was wearing this painted-on muscle suit. So I thought he was the most awesome character I had ever seen. And just, like, freaked out over him. And then got home, and the next night saw that he was wearing this ridiculous suit with painted-on muscles and patches of fur. And it was so disappointing. The Hasbro Giant Gonzalez figure was so badass. It was tall on the others. Yeah. It was, like, 100% unique tool because, like, they actually took his the like the fake bodysuit and like made it like real life. Like the, the the airbrush muscles were like real muscles on the figure, so it just looked like a giant Sasquatch with like how real, he looked in my mind. Yeah, how he looked in like how like I think Vince McMahon saw him in the mind in the the painted on muscle bodysuit was converted into the action figure, and it had the 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 really cool play feature where it's like you push down the figure and the arms raise up because there was like little hinges in both feet that like push down and push the arms up. Like that one. Um, that one's a, a bummer because we actually tried to find, um, find him, uh, to get him as part of the, like the first legends line to get him in the line. And then we, we talked to someone who we, who said he was his agent and his representative, but we couldn't verify it. And it's like, well, if we can't verify it, we're not cutting a deal with someone. Cause it could just be like, you know, oh. sending money to like a Nigerian prince or something. Right. And so we did pull the trigger, and then, like, a few months later, it was dead. Oh, man. So, I yeah, that's so... So you think there's never going to be a giant Gonzalez? It's looking very, very unlikely. Blake, before we go, Erwin R. Scheister. 
Well, that sounds like a guy who would have been some sort of an author, like he would have been ripping off Hemingway. He would have been a real shyster. You know, everybody would have been like, ah, he's ripping off all the ideas. Okay, I so like I that. imagine that he would walk into his stadium with some sort of tome and large quill, see his opponent, and then run backstage and quickly dress to imitate him and try to get his fans. He was just no, after no, everybody. No, that would have been the plagiarist. Oh, well. Pay attention to the letters because Erwin R. Scheister stands for I-R-S. Jesus Christ. Like, what do you think the gobbledygook is? I've been trying to rack my brain around it, and all I can picture is, like, what if the Green Goblin had some sort of terrible incident and hurt his head and tried to come back? A guy in a turkey suit. Of course it is. Who hatched out of an egg on live TV. Of course he did. WWF figures give you the fury of the hitman and the bite of the bulldog. Washington's laying down the wall. The Undertaker will bury those stiffs. Not with these WWF figures running wild. Each sold separately, dig it? I'd like to thank our guest Bill Makia from Mattel for coming down today and talking about one of the other wrestling lines. You can follow Bill on Twitter at Bill M I E K I N A. Or follow the hashtag WWE Elite Squad. And if you want to meet Bill in person and see some new figures, he's going to be showing off some new toys at Survivor Series this year. Well, and if you're looking for us, which obviously you are, first and foremost, you're going to leave us five stars on iTunes and you're going to hit the subscribe button. That's going to keep the lights on for us. And it's also going to keep toys coming to us, which will keep more content for the show, which will be good for you, the consumer. So five stars, iTunes. If you want to talk to us about toys you're collecting, if you want to ask us questions that we can answer on the show, if you just want to say hello, you can email us at howdoyoufigurepodcast at gmail.com. Now that's a ya with a Y-A. How do ya figure? We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash howdoyoufigure. We are on Twitter at howdoyoufigurepc and Instagram at howdoyoufigurepodcast. All of those and more on social media. Well, not more. That's it. That's all of them. There are no more outside of the ones we had said just then. Just those.